0: Hi everyone, welcome to LA Harbor Speaks. Today we're gonna talk with Jerry Ritlin, the Executive Director of the Beacon Light Mission and the Doors of Hope Women's Shelter. He'll be telling us about how the mission provides services to the homeless and give us a few thoughts on the homeless problem himself. I'm Mike Herrera. For 40 years, I've worked in the nonprofit field. During this time, I've noticed there are hundreds of nonprofits, organizations, and individuals Making a positive difference in their community. My mission is twofold to inform the community of these organizations and to recruit help for these organizations. In a minute, we'll be talking with Jerry Ritland, and we'll be right back. And we're back, everyone. I have at my office Jerry Ritland, the executive director of the Beacon Lights Mission, Lighthouse. Okay, speaking of Light Mission, I'm always doing it wrong. I'm sorry, Jerry. But Jerry, welcome, really glad you're here.
1: Thank you, it's good to be here.
0: So tell me what the main goal of the Beacon Light Mission is. The main role? Yeah.
1: main role is to help homeless men and women uh, get up off the streets and back into society as uh, you know prominent working type people, tax paying people. We've uh, started off, we're actually an emergency shelter where we bring in men and women for a short period of time. During that period of time, uh, say 10 days or 20 days, we look at them and see if there's any viability. In other words, they're um, sober or they want to get sober or they're on drugs or want to get off drugs. We try to help them at that point. If they want to better themselves, then we ask them if they would like to come on as a helper. We start raising them up and it helps them maintain their sobriety. They go through Bible studies with us, chapel, eat with us, and so we're trying to cultivate them to get them to come back into society.
0: Wow. So how successful is that?
1: Uh, It is becoming more successful every year. Last year was the greatest year we ever had and getting men and women into housing and up off the street. We take them by ones and twos. We don't look at groups uh, because we can't get groups. We're not Our facilities aren't large enough to have a group of people, but we'll take one and two at a time. Whether we're going out in the alley and talking to the people in the alley and working with them in the alley, that's their home, and getting them up off the street. Or if they come into the mission and start off as a helper, get sober and get off the street. Our success last year was the greatest we've ever had, and we're ahead of schedule of last year. So we're very, very pleased with what we're able to do. Wow, that's
0: good. Can you tell me about one or two of the people that you actually Yes.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, we have a lady by the name of Rita, a very elderly, little, tiny, thin woman. And she came to us, and all oh, her ID had been stolen. So she was born in New York, and uh, she wanted to get into housing. But she's living out in the alley. She has no identification, so We're trying to figure out how to get it, and legal organization came in and said they would do pro bono for her. You know, they'd do it for free, and um, we could help her get her a certified birth certificate. So they said, um, and it's pro bono, so it doesn't cost you any money, but he did say, I do need a check from you, which started making my knees knock a little bit. And I says, "Um, how much of a check? And he says, I need $35. And I thought, for attorney, you always have to add zeros to that. But he said, it cost me $35 to get the, the certificate. Well, when you send to New York and try to get a certified birth certificate, you're among you know thousands, maybe tens of thousands, other people who are requiring the same thing. So it took months, several months, for her to get the certified birth certificate. Once we got her birth certificate in, we could go up and get her. She knew her social security number, but she couldn't get a social security card because she had no proof of who she was. We get a certified birth certificate. Then she got her social security number. We could go to DPS. They start helping her. We took her down to DMV. Got her a California identification. And uh, then we asked if she'd like to come into the mission. She stayed with us on and off for the last year. And I think it's three weeks ago now. She got into housing. That was an extremely long time for a person to get into housing. It's just a, with her. We had another couple who came in. They were married, they've been married for 20 some odd years. Uh, he was 84, she was 77. were abruptly kicked out onto the streets by a landlord who wanted to reclaim the apartment house and change it. Doesn't matter. They came in as a husband and wife. So the man has to stay on the man's side, ladies have to stay on the lady's side, which just almost seemed incongruous to me that we got a husband and wife who can't spend time together but they spent their daytimes together they were going out looking for housing and looking thing and it took us about nine months and we got them into a two-person housing form which is a very difficult thing to get so we got them into housing
0: was that in the area here
1: uh, or oh, the housing no it was uh, downtown at a brand new place they were extremely excited because it just been recently opened and they were extremely happy with it because they said it's you know, it's new and it's clean. You even had a little tiny balcony where they could look out and over the street.
0: Well, wow. yeah. so how many people do you actually deal with on a daily basis?
1: We we sleep twenty men, twenty women a night. Actually, with including the staff, so it's uh, five to six more. There are about fifty people a day stay with the mission. We serve about anywhere from sixty to eighty meals every night. A hot meal. It's a very balanced hot meal for them. Mondays and Thursdays, we have open showers for any homeless in the area, for men and for women. And so they come in and they take a shower, get clean clothes, and uh, can go out on the streets.
0: I think believe you were in business for over a hundred years now. Yes. And yet the problem still seems to be growing. These last few years have been the worst I've seen in this area. What are the changes you have seen over the years?
1: Well, as you and I were talking earlier, I was a policeman uh, for 28 and a half years. I spent 10 years working at Skid Row. In those days, we'd have around 850 people a night on Skid Row. That was a very manageable, easy to work with group, and uh, we didn't have the same problems we have today. But with the influx of the homeless as they moved to the West Coast, uh, seeking a better climate, number one, of course, they've seen all the promises of what L.A. is trying to do for the homeless. Housing has always been a very important thing. Everybody is coming out here hoping to hit the gold mine, like they did with the gold rush days. You want to get the gold, so they come rushing out here. So we watched Skid Row, you know, just skyrocket into what it is today. Here in San Pedro and Wilmington, we saw the very same thing. But for many years, the homeless were here. Nobody ever saw them. They see them when here, when there, and we. We'd always look at them when you saw them and feel a lot of compassion for them. But they were here. They were hiding underneath the freeways. They were in the bushes out in the areas where people couldn't go and around the oil fields or anywhere they could find and they were out of sight. But people having compassion on them begin to make com- complaints to the city management and say that, you know, it's unfair. These people have to live in the bushes. And they have to live out there. And so it brought it to the public attention. And next thing you know, the police were going down there and they're moving them out of those areas and moving them into more safer areas because it was definitely an unsafe area for them. Accumulation trash alone would be unhealthy and unsafe. To me, it was a, um, having worked with the homeless for so long, I said it's like taking a, a balloon. It's only partially filled with air, mostly filled with air, and they ask you to squeeze all the air out of the balloon. So you start squeezing that balloon as hard as you can, trying to get all the air out of the balloon. But the next thing you know, all these air pops out between your fingers. And this is what happened to the homeless. When we started squeezing them out of the places where they were so comfortable, uh, they thought was comfort, during that time, they end up appearing on the public sidewalks. And so now they're very, very obvious.
0: Yeah, they're very uh, visible now.
1: Tremendously so. I, I know
0: there was a large amount of people living under the bridge, especially over there on Lomita, mm-hmm. and what is between Figueroa and Vermont, and there were a lot of people living out there under that bridge, and out there in that little forest area out there. Because yeah. we used to, as when I worked at the Boys and Girls Club, we used to take food out there to those people. What amazed me was the amount of kids that were out there. Is there a large about the kids that you deal with
1: yeah we don't actually see that many anymore Um, when they were in the bushes out there uh, when I was going from campment to campment, then we'd see the children but um, in the last few years we don't see them too often it's not like it was before what we're seeing is a lot of older people a lot of seniors who have suddenly become homeless and um I don't know where the children are. It's always been one of the things that's written on my heart, is uh, the four children out there.
0: Yeah, I remember the, the uh, for a while there, there was a big uh, quiz that went out, and they were talking about, you know, what's the average age of a homeless person? And at the time, it was nine years old. Mm. This was a good 20 years ago. Now, I'm looking at it, I, it seems to be more senior citizens Mm. that are just down on their luck. And
1: you know, um, Mike, I'm not, not going to say they're down on their luck. Maybe they had some bad luck. Uh, as a couple I talked to, you know, they lived in the same apartment house for 19 years, never missed a rent. of fact, he was known as the handyman around there. He cleaned up after the place. What happened to them, they even thought about leaving some of their money behind to their offspring, but uh, the landlord realizing they're only paying $850 a month, and the place was worth almost $2,000 a month, decided to uh, reclaim the place and build it up. And they, uh, according to this couple, they had 11 seniors were removed in one weekend wow. and uh, made way for it. So here they were, husband and wife, a little bit of money, and, and uh, cars and things. They got their insurance paid for in the car, license plates, and a small income the income between the two of them was less than poverty level. So, but they were able to live in, until they were put on the street. I, um, I, I know, was, know that there's
0: several reasons why people are homeless. Um, no. It could be drugs, it could be alcohol, um, it could be just what you say, they got evicted and uh, they weren't mm-hmm. expecting that. Uh, what, what do you see as the main, the main problem of, of homelessness? <laughs>
1: Mike, that's an excellent question. I have pondered this uh, ever since 1976 when I first started working with the homeless. I look at, there's three different populations of homeless, and I don't know how to categorize them. One is there because of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what they want. Yes. They don't want to do anything more than that. It's a party time, 24 hours a day, 365 a year. Then there's the other ones. I don't know what to call them and I, so I call them transients, and this is exactly what you just mentioned. The man who went to work and found out his business, I mean, the, his company is closing. Um, something happened in their life, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it was a death, and they end up on the street, and we would see them on skid row, and they'd be there for one, two, three more months, and the next thing you know they're gone, so they transit in. They needed a place where they could live inexpensively, get food, get shelter, why they tried to get back on their feet and that's a small population they moved down the third population the ones that broke my heart were the physically and mentally handicapped they are constant victims which they are today they really can't defend themselves orally many times because they can't speak up for their own rights and uh... physically because they can't defend themselves women are Talked to, touched, just everything inappropriately you can imagine on skid row. Um, people in wheelchairs are robbed because they can't chase you, and it's just you can't flash any money down there. So the physically and mentally challenged people are constant victims. It just breaks my heart because we as a society can't do something for them. There's no place for them to go. Well do you see as a possible answer to this? I wish I had that answer. I could print a book and we'd make you and I would make a lot of money. Uh, obviously, I think we actually... Mike, I'm going to go way back. I think it all starts back in the families. A recent study I just read, it shows that um, the father in the family is one of the principal figures in a family. Fatherless families, um, are a cause of a lot of the problems. Fifty percent of the women in custody today come from fatherless homes. Uh, in a standard home of a husband and wife where they raise their children, yes, a few percentage of them are going to go astray, some of them are end up in prison, but the percentage is pretty low. Uh, if there's a f- no father in the home, and it's a single mother, the percentage of chance of them going in prison is extremely high. It's on the opposite end of the scale, very, very high, maybe high as 80 percent. It's really big. However, what the study did find was uh, female children raised in a father-only home had the same uh, advantage that a two-person home had. In other words, they would come up just the same. The father is a very key figure in a home. My experience in working the areas I have is the lack of fathers. Fathers have to step up and own up to them. But it isn't that way. What happens is um girlfriend gets pregnant and they hit the road. So the woman is now trying to raise children or a child, and she doesn't have the husband in there to lead and guide and direct. A man can give tough love and pick up his child and hug and kiss him at the next moment. They have to have discipline in their family. He has to put his foot down and the man figure seems to be the person who runs the home with mom as a couple. They work side by side. So I start way back there to it. Then we have this easy use of drugs in high school. Um, Sex today, uh, when I worked juvenile 100 years ago, as a policeman, not literally, by the way, we didn't see half this type of uh, Free sexual attitudes. I talked to a lady yesterday whose sisters all had illegitimate babies in their early teens, and uh, how she was able to not have that happen to her because she just happened to take a different stand on life. And so, I say, with the absence of good parenting. Um, I talk to the men in prison, I'm also a prison chaplain, so I talk to the men in prison. And they will tell me I'm getting ready to get out. And where do I go? I have no place to go. If I go home, this one gentleman actually told me, he said, the only place I got to go is back to my house. It's in the hood. That's where I was raised. And the only thing I'm going to do is get right back in trouble. I can't stay with my mom because I feel too bad about it. She can't afford to have me. She doesn't make enough money hardly to eat on herself and pay her rent, and I have no income. So he said, I'll be back to dealing drugs or robbing, whatever it takes to help mom. You know, how can we as a society help these people? We need places where they can make a transition from where they were to where they want to go. A man in the, talked in the alley a while back it was tatted from his nose to his toes. His head was shaped and everything else. And I, great, great. He'd been in, just got out of prison and had been on for quite some time. He said he spent most of his life in prison. And now he wants to get straightened out. He wants to go straight and get a, a life. He wants to get a job. He looked at me and he says, Jerry, look at me. Look at me. Would you hire me? You're going to let all my tattoos go into your place of business. Would I be a good salesman for you?" And it made me think, um, would I? That's a tough answer. So here you have a man who wants to go straight, and the problem is his looks. He grew up wrong, was in prison at a very young age. He went from juvenile hall to prisons. Now he wants to go straight. How do we, as a society, Creative place, a transitional place, free of drugs, good counseling, where this man, in his honesty, can come up with a trade, whether it's carpentry, you know, plumbing, or whatever it is, make money, not have everybody stare at him. Well, so you deal with all
0: these different problems and everything, but I understand that you partner with other organizations to help you. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about some of the organizations that you work with?
1: We're probably closest with Harbor Interfaith. Um, They're right here in San Pedro. Uh, This organization is just outstanding. I've watched them grow magnificently over the years. Uh, They are on the front lines. They come out into the alley, right where the people are out there. If we give them a call, we got a man or a woman who needs some help, like we have right now, and um, they came right on out and go out and talk to them. We have a man who is in the alley right now who used to come to the mission and uh, was a regular guest and he'd come in and stay a few weeks and then he'd leave and come back when he could. And a while back he had a stroke which now has left him incapacitated to the point where he is wheelchair bound. Second of all, it impacted his speech. He's extremely hard to speak to. And I learned by talking to him that I can't ask a question that could requires a long-defined answer. So I've talked to him with answering, asking questions that can be answered yes or no. And I talked to Harbour our Interfaith, and I told them about him. And they went out. When well, they came into the alley there, went over and talked to him, and now they're working on to see if they can't find a place where he can be put into safety and comfort someplace.
0: Well. So if if someone wanted to, you know, how, how do you actually recruit your clients or do they Just hear about you, or
1: mm-hmm. is word of mouth? People, a lot of them have been coming here for years, um, and uh, others hear about us. We've got a very good reputation in the South Bay. We're the only mission there, and we we are frustrated that we can't help more people. We are actually looking to expand in the near future. Um, I. We are doing 20 beds a night. I said, well, how about doing 40 beds or 60 beds? We're a faith-based organization, so we're very strong in our faith. And as they were talking um, the day before yesterday about it, and I said, well, what I'm looking at is possibly a million-dollar project. And I said, that's just the beginning. So I'm looking at X, Y, Z. What we want to do is build up housing for them, starting off with women with children. I would like to have a handicapped facility where the handicapped people can come in, fully handicapped, where they can go in, have showers and bathrooms, everything ready for them, where they can get into a bed, go to eat at a place. Women with children, battered women, um, two different facilities or two part locations in it. Men, veterans, and the number one thing we, veterans is one p- group of people we give extended stays to people who want to transition into society. They just don't have a means or they don't have a place to go with safety at that moment. So that's what we're looking to, is to create a, a more housing for people who are really in need. And in I say in ours, we're looking at the women and handicapped. And
0: so you work mainly with Harbor Interface Shelter. Is there other organizations that have helped you?
1: Oh my goodness, yes. Well, we're blessed um, we have a lot of churches that help us, a lot of organizations. Um, there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of love for the homeless people and um, philanthropic organizations who can donate large sums of money. When I talk about a $1 million or $2 million project, it sounds tremendously high to me. But there are people who can write checks for that. And they may not take the whole thing, but they say, I'll, I'll cut half of it. And um, we just saw a mission open up